What's up, my people? Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church's Sermon Spotlight, where we're coming at you each and every week with a fresh weekend to debrief in an effort to send biblical truth. And what better way to do that than by the power of conversation? I'm Caleb Pearson, one of your hosts for today. Joining me uh, in the host spotlight, Miss Alicia Battaglia. Alicia, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. There are two big, exciting things happening okay. right now. So one, of course, for Winchester, it is Apple Blossom. And I didn't even realize it was Apple Blossom. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. I know, because I live near an apple orchard, so everything is blooming right now, which is go. lovely. Uh, so that's one thing that's big for Winchester. That is big. And then big for our family, personally, this is the week that my son Isaiah is getting married. No way. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Congratulations yeah. That's to him and to you guys. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. That's super That's awesome. Exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah, I knew Apple Blossom was happening. I just didn't know to the degree to which it was mm-hmm. happening. I know they're not doing any of the big parades and stuff, but there's still a ton of events. The carnival's already up and running Yeah, on their calendar, yep. so... Yep. But that's awesome. Uh, he's back the second week in a row, uh, continuing the sermon series. Uh, John Morrison. John, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Caleb. Good. Good to Good. be with you and Alicia. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So it, it, I have a, it's weird to suggest that like that one Sunday is, is better or more fruitful than another. But as far as conversations go regarding when we're going to record this podcast and what we're going to talk about, this was a busy one. Uh, jumping into justice, right? Talking through that. Uh, Romans 12. Guys, let's go ahead and jump into a Sunday in review. We have a question that was submitted. Um, a lot of people have been talking about it. We can kind of break that down. But Alicia, I'll come your way first. Let's kind of debrief the weekend uh, and go from there. And hopefully we can kind of unpack some of the questions and kind of leave with some clarity on where to head with it. So. Yeah. So, well, I think Mark mentioned this the week before. Our small group was trying to guess, what's the topic? What's the topic going to be? <laughs> and we were hitting all these different things. And social justice was one of them. Mm. Um, but in there were actually lots of things that I think can fall underneath that category with whether it's racial, economic, sexual education, political, mm. religious, there's this huge spectrum of justice issues mm. and there's theories, categories, movements. It's just, it's huge and it's very relevant and just a big buzzword right now. Sure. And so the fact that you tackled that <laughs> that this this week was really, really neat. Um, and in light of Romans 12, 1 and 2, most importantly, with this just, it can be dizzying hmm. to think about it all, but most importantly, are we aligning our thoughts with God's thoughts in Amen. regards to justice yeah. and mercy? Amen. And hmm. um, so that, you just did a fantastic job walking us through that process in a very tangible way. Does it ever feel like Pastor Mark gives you the hard stuff? You know, I think it's interesting that Mark suggested I do social justice a month ago, and then he goes out of town. (laughs) (laughs) He did. No coincidence. Well, John, you and I were able to text a little bit this week, but was was there anything after this weekend ended that, you you know, if you had more time or were able to elaborate on a certain point uh, in the sermon, you know, what was left on the cutting room floor where you had, did you have any conversations with anybody after? What, What has that process been like for you, even in just the last 24 hours? Yeah, that could take our whole time. I mm. won't let that happen. Mm. Um, but um, this was a painful sermon to do uh, mm. for mm. a couple of reasons. One, um, when you get into the issue of social justice, you 
you're required as you do it to feel other people's pain because I remember as a kid, um, probably, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade, I read the book Black Like Me, which I think was written in about 1962, and I probably read it in about maybe 1968 or something. And it was a book where a guy, true story, a guy um, actually put a kind of chemical on his skin to make himself darker. Hmm. And then he was a writer, he was a reporter, and then he traveled in the South for some period of time trying to find out right in the, in the early to mid-60s, trying to find out really what is it like if I as the same guy go to these same places just to see how people treat me when I appear black as mm. opposed to appearing white. And obviously it's an incomplete, you know, you can't do it thoroughly. And sometimes people would say there's something different about this guy, you know, but, mm. but he made the effort. And I remember just being impacted as a kid, just to try to think, what is it like to experience the world as someone who misses out on things that I assume? And I think a lot of that was reignited and I was so appreciative to the Lord because he showed in some of the scriptures we looked at in the first half of the sermon that that is his heart, that when you look at a man who's righteous like Job, I mean, I, I could have just spent the time, I could have spent the whole sermon just looking at the character of the life of Job because here's a guy <clears throat> who had everything, but instead of focusing on just holding on to everything that he had, he was intentionally wanting to find out how he could help meet needs. Hmm. You know, I mean, this is 4,000 years ago. This is not a guy reading newspapers today and being ignited by that. I, I loved it because I thought that was the heart of God. And so on the one hand, my heart get, got really engaged with just staring at the face of God's righteousness and the way it shows up in justice and mercy and asking the question, does my heart get ignited like that? And do ours as Christians? And so that's one whole topic. And frankly, I would have liked a minimum of a week just to focus on that, mm. because I think it's something that as a church, I know individuals who do an exceptional job at it, but I've been at this a long time and I feel like we've missed a lot. And, and, and so that's one whole reason. And, and the second reason is kind of the opposite, if you wanted to put it that way. I see people speaking about this topic a lot and wanting to see things happen. And I have been grieved. I have been um, saddened, discouraged, and at times enraged as I see people who are getting the public air right now, mm. who are attempting to supposedly call for assistance to people who really need assistance. But what they're doing is they're turning it, they're perverting it into an opportunity to cause harm and to demand control. And, and instead of what God seems to emphasize, which is individuals ministering to people in need because of the compassion of God, which all of us can do. Instead, they're saying, let's come up with the force of the body politic to force a response. And mm. it's a response mm. that frequently is unrighteous and even untrue. Mm. And so, so this whole topic, uh, yeah, it, it, it engaged a lot. There was a whole lot left on the cutting room floor. I've received twice as many letters, texts, and calls from 
this sermon than I have from any sermon. And I think part of it is because people have been dying to talk about this stuff mm. and they want to know what God has to say. Well, in, in today's time, everything is in your face, whether it's on the news or social media, and everybody is seeking to be on the right side of social justice. And whatever that agenda is, then they have, it's, it is forcefully put out there. And social media is one of those platforms that is so in your face if you're on social media. And so it's hard to navigate those waters and, um, and it gets confusing. And so as Christians, it, it, we have got to anchor ourselves in the character of God and because that's what biblical justice is rooted in, that's is right. in his character. And then looking at the life of Jesus and thinking, okay, who is this God who left his throne in heaven and humbled himself and took on our flesh mm-hmm. and lived this in this world that we live in? And he walked and saw these injustices. Mm-hmm. And how did he minister to people, yeah. Jew and Gentile, believers, unbelievers. What what did Jesus do mm-hmm. when he was here? Mm-hmm. And ultimately he laid down his life mm-hmm. and uh, died for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. He took on the wrath that we deserve. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate it on so many levels just because it this is the stuff that we're getting hit with day by day now in the news and and I was just comforted and reminded and I almost convicted to the point where I was just like, I should be more in awe of God than I am in awe of injustice. Mm-hmm. But that's Good. hard to yeah. hard to remember, especially when the justice... It almost speaks to the importance of a devotional life because I have a regular intake of injustice news coverage. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, that is... There's a constant bombardment. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what's yeah. wrong, here's what's wrong, yeah. here's what's wrong. Yeah. And, and I think what's interesting about it is the world does a... A pretty good job of diagnosing itself, except it doesn't get to the sin, mm-hmm. and then a horrible job of offering the solution. Mm-hmm. Here's the injustice, mm-hmm. and here's the solution, and you're you're sitting there thinking, I, yeah. I can't get behind that wholehearted solution. And right. you have these different organizations that seek justice. Okay, well, what what are the origins of the organization? What are what, what are the core? Talk about character and attributes of God and understanding them. If we're going to identify with any sort of movement or organization, we've got to know mm-hmm. what that's going to be. So mm-hmm. the, the awareness of God outweighing the awareness of injustice was at least huge for me to... One person wrote me and made a comment that I thought was so wise. She said, you know, it seems to me that in all the passages that you addressed of God's compassion and mercy, they all seem to be with a person being convicted because of what God is like to care for humanity mm-hmm. in ways that we can practically do and that crossed racial lines and socioeconomic lines and all this others. But she said, it's interesting to me that I didn't see and I don't remember in the scriptures anything that appears to be governmental in origin or organizational mm-hmm. in orientation as in, here is what we need to do. We need to band together and create a power thrust that will force this to happen. Mm. Rather, she said, it seems to have come down to the heart mm. of people yeah. because it's a matter of the heart of God. And I thought it was a it was a wise point because I think it's hard once you politicize, once you turn it into an mm-hmm. issue of fundamentally power, 
Um, when you do that, there's a perversion that takes place. And, and what's sad about that is I think that perversion actually makes whatever the situation is worse. Like mm. the, my favorite example, favorite in terms of most poignant, not mm. favorite because of what mm. happened. The, the, the last May, um, all of us mm-hmm. were aware of what happened to George Floyd. And I happened to see it come across a news feed right after it happened. Three hours, it was already on line. And I watched the whole video mm-hmm. before I had a chance to read any news reports. Mm-hmm. I was able to just watch it. And I found my stomach turning somersaults. Mm-hmm. I, I actually was yelling at my phone during the nine minutes because I didn't know. I just knew there was something about a police doing something and that it apparently led to death. And I'm watching it. I'm thinking there is no way that man's going to keep his knee on his neck. There's no way he can do it. He can Mm -hmm. hear what this guy is saying. Mm -hmm. And and I'm with the guys on the sidewalk yelling and there's a police Mm -hmm. officer blocking them and putting his hand on his holster as if he'll take action if they try to. And I'm thinking somebody needs to grab that cop off of there. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember the rage for what went on but then we watch what happened in response man in his wisdom decides that what we need to do when something is wicked like that was is we need to throw firebombs through windows of stores and we need to steal things from people and we need to burn cars and we need to take funding off of streets for police and we need to make it so that there will actually be an increase mm-hmm. in crime And we look at it and we say, only Satan could come up with a plan whereby he would take man's sin in an individual situation and use it to galvanize so many of us in our anger to try to do something that we think is for a good purpose and twist it into something even worse. Mm -hmm. And that's the dilemma that we have whenever we take something that is the heart of God. Care for those who are needy. Care for those who are poor. Care for those who are disenfranchised. And then now we're going to turn it into a a political idea and we're going to machine it. Mm-hmm. We're going to force it in the culture. And, and we know that that's the way that we can end up making wrong things right. And we look and we say, we're worse off than we were before. And, and that, to me, I think there was a really insightful comment on her part to mm-hmm. say what she was left with. She said, for me, this doesn't make me actually even look for organizations. Mm-hmm. What it makes me do is ask the question, how does God want me to step up my involvement mm-hmm. in the lives of others? And I thought that was really a, a wise kind of response. Mm-hmm. Psalm 94, uh, starting in verse 19, speaks to that same situation about how sin can be framed into these systems, just like what's been happening here. And um, starting in verse 19, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Mm. And it's, that it just speaks to, we, we have nowhere to turn but to the Lord in these situations That's and right. realizing that He is on the throne and He will do justice uh, and bring that, bring that out. It's mm. really good. 
Pastor John, one thing we like to do, especially on the podcast, pivot from this Sunday in review to to a church life response. What, what, what can the application look like? What specifically can we take away? Mm. And so for the two of you here, I want to lead in with a question. Uh, Brian writes in, and here, here's what he writes uh, addressing Pastor John. I took the first part of your sermon as a call for us to ask the same questions to ourselves that came out of Sunday and to think more about the God-given talents and resources we have and apply them justly and with mercy to the spheres of influence God has placed us in. That seemed to be the grassroots application of the message. Is this correct? Secondly, the latter half of your sermon focused on a real-world example that, for me, felt incomplete. I suspect having a short time to cover such a topic resulted in the requirement to choose one or more of the stark examples. Is this a fair assessment? And if so, what other examples were you considering? Boy, <laughs> what a it's such a good question. Yeah. I mean, th- th- this guy should have preached the sermon. Because, <laughs> uh, just insightful thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you needed that three hours, honestly, oh, yeah. rather than the thirty minutes. Oh. Three hours. Yeah. Well, really, and and Mark and I were writing each other during the week to try to wrestle with: Is it possible with the current preaching calendar to extend this? And mm. and we were just kind of going back and forth because it easily could have warranted okay. um, uh, mm. considerably more time. I, first of all, this this guy's Brian's question. Uh, the first half of what he said, I think, is a great summary. Mm. Uh, it was a call for us to realize God calls every one of us to care mm. about others, and and although we care for our family first. And, and we're responding out of a worshipful heart towards God when we do that. Um, we are also called to, to care for the weakest among us. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I know that there are ways we do that, but I think we're missing a lot of opportunities, I think it's fair to say. And I think what he said when he said, use the abilities, the talents, and the opportunities we have within the place that we've been planted is that the message from the first half? 100%. If we could just do what he said, right on target. With respect to the second, particularly at the nine o'clock hour, I had to cut out about a page and a half of what I was trying to address in that part. I did a little more on Saturday night and a little more on the second, uh, the, the um, uh, 1045 service. But I had to cut out the most on the, the nine o'clock. Um, <clears throat> um, and... And so in answer to his question of, of kind of, is there more, uh, there was far more with respect to that second half of the sermon, um, uh, with respect to what is going on right now that is not biblically minded. Um, an example that I only got to use in one service was, um, one of the statistics that gets thrown out a lot, and this is this particular comment has to do with the topic of equity. I was able to explain equity a little bit on the Saturday night service. I don't think I really got a chance in the next two, certainly not at nine o'clock. But the people who are calling for justice right now, what a great many of them are talking about is equity. And equity boils down to even results, not even opportunity, but even results. For example, I mentioned in one of the services that there is a push, and this push is getting much stronger right now, that every black American should be given between two hundred dollars and $300,000 per capita. And the reason that's, that's rationalized for that is because the economic opportunities of the United States have um, 
collected in such a way that that non-minorities in general have approximately this much more asset available to them over their lifetime. And therefore, in order to make things, quote, equitable, that is the same, that, that, that every person uh, who is of color should be given an extra $250,000 to $300,000 from someone, um, which, of course, then requires somebody to take someone else's mm-hmm. assets, mm-hmm. which then requires somebody to give it to somebody. And I'm not sure what happens. What if the person you're giving it to actually has more than 250,000 more than other people. And what happens if you're taking it from people who actually don't have it? And there are so many is other that kinds not, of, is it not socialism? And, that. and that's, and that's <laughs> the, that is a big part of the problem is it does, it does require. And in fact, they have written that the entire system needs to be turned over mm-hmm. and whether they use the term or not, that's what it is. But one of the examples of this equity that was so painful to me, the obvious, I mentioned in one service was that one of the quotes that's going on right now, every time that a African-American male is shot by police, which is a, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. And, and certainly what happened to Floyd, I mean, my sakes, uh, what he went through, uh, nobody should have to go through. There's no argument about that, I hope. But um, there's been a quote that I've read in newspapers for the last year that 2.5 times is uh, that a black man is 2.5 times as likely to be killed as a white man. And so one of the reasons that by police, and so one of the reasons that um, there is a big push to say, we are going to call every policeman to count. We're going to, um, we are going to protest every time this happens, because we know that men who are African-American are getting, unfairly targeted by police. That's the the language. What's really interesting is to find that when you um, bring violent crime into question and you say how many people who how many people who are killed by police in the context of violent crime Is there a racial difference? What has been found out by two independent studies, one, a Harvard economist who said, I flatly expected it to be just the opposite. He and then the um, 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 the, uh, I can't remember what the other academy is, but a national academy. um, Both of the studies found that African-American men are equal or less likely to be killed by police if you take into consideration uh, a violent act, which is the context in which police are most often associated. So what you actually have is you have people looking at the terrible thing of of a black man being killed, something that is awful, but then they're coming around and saying, therefore, it's obvious that the system is uh, prejudice against black men. Well, as one black man wrote, um, well, if 96% of all those killed by police are men, does that mean men are pre- that police are prejudiced against men? Or is it just that men are engaged in felonious acts that are violent more mm-hmm. often than women? And it is that. And nobody disagrees with that. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the point I make in that, in answer to his question, do I have mm-hmm. more examples? Mm-hmm. So many more examples. And I would encourage two books that are to me, well, really well written on these topics. One is called 
Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice um, by uh, David Scott Allen. And this is a guy who has been working among the poor for most of his career. He's got a ministry heart of helping the poor. And he said, in my early, in my 20s, I was really influenced by some rather Marxist thinking Christians and non-Christians, and I was following right along with them. He said, but what I've realized in, in later years is compassion that is the heart of God is one thing, but what Marxism is attempting to do in terms of robbing from some people and systematizing and forcing people to do what certain people think they should is nothing like God's mercy, mm-hmm. nothing like God's ju- justice. So, mm-hmm. so in answer to the guy's question, um, there's so much more. And I'll tell you, if he happened to hear the nine o'clock, there is one reason mm-hmm. why I cut out so much. Sure. And I'm just going to tell you what it was. I was at nine o'clock, so... I don't, okay. Yeah, I was at nine o'clock, so I haven't heard any of the well, others. <clears throat> the reason I cut out so much at nine o'clock was because Saturday evening I got a indirect that didn't come directly to me. It came to someone else who shared it with me, a text from somebody who said, I so enjoyed the sermon on Saturday night because um, Black Lives Matter was finally called out publicly. That was their takeaway. Hmm. And that grieved me because mm-hmm. I don't mind Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. being called out. But mm-hmm. that person, whoever said that, if they were, if their goal was to get Black Lives Matter called out, then that wasn't the part of the message that was for them. Mm-hmm. The part of the message that was for them was God's call on all of us yep. to have the mercy that God has. Right. If somebody is identifying and supporting Black Lives Matter, then that part of the message is for them to say, I wonder if my association or support of these things is really biblically wise. So that's the reason why in the nine o'clock hour, Mm. I had to pull off a bunch of that because I just thought Mm. the last thing I want is for a bunch of us to ignore the needs of people and ignore the call of God and then just say, oh, I know what we can all agree on. Mm. Let's all agree on the fact that Black Lives Matter needs to be called out because... Folks, if that's as far as we go, and then with, we're just we're not even listening. With all mm. kinds of movements and and on this topic, there are positive things that we can glean from all the different ideologies that but there's also things that are not things that we can align ourselves with. And so I think that that's where it is just so vital that we take our thoughts captive and really take our minds and our hearts to God's word and let that instruct us and let God's word uh, reveal God's heart to us. And then, and you mentioned this, that if we think like God does, we will do like God does. Mm -hmm. And that will be a natural response. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that it starts in the home primarily, and that the home unit, and are we talking with our family members about um, what God's word says about people who are made in the image of God and the dignity of all mankind? Is, is that happening in your home? And Great then let it, hmm. let it expand out. Is it happening in our neighborhoods? Are yeah. we talking with our neighbors about the dignity of human life? Yeah. Whether you're unborn, whether you're Black, brown, white, whatever Mm. culture you're from, 
there is dignity because these people are made in the image Amen. of God. And then let it go out in your workplace. Mm -hmm. I think about my husband at work, and he's he's having conversations all the time um, concerning these issues. And that makes an impact on other people's lives, and that ripples out. And um, whether you're in school, you know, are you having these conversations in school? So it, it's very relevant to where everybody is at right now yeah. because God's word is relevant. Well, it's the life on life, right? It's finding those opportunities. It's They're not going to leave Sunday morning with a, here's how many index cards I need in my bathroom mirror application, yeah. but more like have an awareness for God and what he wants yeah. from me in these situations and engaging in the dialogue. Uh, you brought up one example uh, Sunday morning about Urbana, Mm -hmm. and IV. Uh, I was at JMU. I think the, the yeah. conference itself was in St. Louis. But I remember when they said what they said about the organization. And real quickly, you found out who was interested in division and who was interested in unity yeah. as far as how we're going to respond to something that we can all agree on. Yeah. And that, yeah, was, yeah. that was what was Good interesting it. about it. Um, and it was actually a very healthy result for me personally as far as wrestling with it because I could only ever politically defend my perspective on Black Lives Matter at that point in time in college. I had my response nailed down politically. Mm -hmm. Scrip mm -hmm. Biblically, scripturally, I mm -hmm. couldn't articulate mm -hmm. and, and, and confirm my convictions on, mm -hmm. on the, the idea of an organization and, and that kind of approach. So I, I saw it firsthand, young mm -hmm. people passionate about injustice, as they all are. I know Keystone yep. they are. I know Youth Group they are. They're yep. quick. They're, they're on these phones. Yep. They're seeing it. And of course their heart hurts. Mm -hmm. and, but the over-agitation and the lack of awareness of the big picture and to really, okay, God, I know you're here, so, so show me. That, that is something that takes time and practice, and mm -hmm. um, I, I saw that kind of firsthand in college. Yeah. So I, I appreciated the, that, especially because for me being younger in the church, if you start off by giving an example, I don't know if you remember when, chances are I don't. Right. Uh, right. We're getting examples of, you know, right. way back, and so... To, to think of a few years ago, I, like, I remember, like yeah. I, I had a moment yeah. of like, yes, like I know this example. Uh, yeah, I have a history. I have history. I have a history. Uh, yeah. And so it was cool to look back on that and think of, wow, you know, the Lord is, he's in control. Uh, well, and Alicia said something earlier and then she said it again and it, and it tied in with what the, uh, the guy Brian wrote having to do with um, what is it that the church is able to do? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what really can the church do? And I love um, one person who uh, reached out to me uh, said, uh, you didn't mention Jeremiah 29. And I said, you know, I didn't even think of Jeremiah 29. And, and so they, they, they quoted to me a passage that I've known, but it's interesting. It's a passage I've used, but I had forgotten one little phrase in it, which is, I think, repeated twice. And they, they, uh, they uh, read it to me or, or quoted it to me. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 4 and following, the God of Israel to all the exiles I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, become fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Well, that's the part I've quoted, but I've overlooked until this person brought up. Notice the next verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you in the, into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Now here is God talking about people who are brought into a place that is not theirs. And to some extent as Christians, we're aware that this world is not our own. Hmm. 
In fact, we can sometimes make a mistake by claiming it a little too strongly. But we ought to have an attitude that what am I doing for the welfare mm-hmm. of the place where I dwell yeah. for the name of God? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, I think is an actively good thing that people could look at. And that's where I could join with anybody who supports Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. if what they're looking for is mm-hmm. welfare for and people. Human flourishing. Human flourishing, that's, yeah. And I, in the question you had on the notes, it says, how can I be careful not to give into an unbiblical force pseudo-justice? And so I was just in my own reflection asking myself, is human flourishing my motive? Hmm. Are my motives compatible with scripture? What is this doing to my heart? What like mm. what is what is stirring within me? And then what kind of fruit is being produced? Is it fruit of the spirit? Am I experiencing love, Great. joy, peace, mm. patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Is that what is blossoming from my motives, my actions? And then are my actions reflecting the true, good, and beautiful absolutes of a biblical worldview? And ultimately, Am I glorifying God yeah. in my mm. response to yeah. what is happening yeah. or whatever proactive mm. measures I'm taking? Am I glorifying God? Yeah. Like that is a heart check for mm. us Christians mm. Um, mm. that I think that we can just be asking ourselves. Well, and real quick comment on Jeremiah 29. I love that it says seek instead of stumble upon or, you know, if you happen across it, anything to really be, have a lens for this stuff and really seek that justice. I think that's great. And even Mm -hmm. also, I think an excellent place for that is to really handle justice correctly within the church. And how can we as a body of believers demonstrate reconciliation with each other? We're broken. Mm -hmm. Good. Ben Stort, Mm -hmm. uh, pastor of Passage City Church in D.C., talked a little bit about some of this a few weeks ago, and he basically said, unbelievers are not interested in being reconciled with a God when they see God's children not reconciling with each other. Oh, that's great. And, and just really bringing that whole idea around of, okay, we have a reputation of God here, and how are we going to handle conflict and injustice to where we hit that C.S. Lewis point of Christians are different in a curious way? Like, mm-hmm. you're like, what in the world is, mm-hmm. how are you able to reconcile and I think in the church, and, and John, you've done an excellent job even in just answering this question, but also this weekend, regardless of which way you lean politically or which organization you're emphatic about, unity in the body of Christ, regardless of the, what is it ultimately about, and that is how that can happen, that mm-hmm. rec- unity in Christ, right? And I think well, that's... Well, and Ephesians 4 speaks about that. I mm. had written this down. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And that that there's so much power in that unifying aspect of Christian living. And Mm. we can, we can disagree with those ideas that are contrary to what God's word says. Mm -hmm. And just because we disagree doesn't mean we're disrespecting you Mm -hmm. and we can disagree in love and Mm. bring truth to the table. Let's let's listen to one another. And I think about everybody has a story. There's because uh, we're naturally very tempted to judge, just like snap judgments mm. um, about people or about situations. And the media, they'll only give you the little tidbits, so you never get the whole story. You don't know the full truth. And um, so, are we assuming the best about a person or a mm. situation or a circumstance that's happened? Um, 
And how, how can we be generous and hospitable to one another um, and listen to the whole story and realize that on a person-to-person basis, people will have baggage. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. baggage shapes their experiences and how they think about things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for us, we can have the heart of Jesus and come with compassion and Mm -hmm. understanding and love Mm -hmm. to them um, and not be disrespectful just because we disagree. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can start to see how the podcast could go 90 minutes, two hours oh at times. <laughs> yeah. John, I, I appreciate you being here and being willing to answer that question. I mean, to just the humility there of letting a sermon kind of go under the hood a little bit and have people respond to it and react has led to a lot of fruitful mm-hmm. conversations. So that's, that's great. And I mean, we have a podcast that has now gone longer than the sermon itself. So just to show you the, <laughs> the ability to really break open the discussion and, and talk about this stuff, it's, it's great in the life of the church. Uh, I think it's fruitful and I've seen it this week already. A lot of people are talking and I think that's, that's an excellent place to start. So mm-hmm. Alicia, thank you, John. Thank you so much for being here. I don't know when we'll, we'll see you again, but hopefully some point down the road. Yeah. yeah. Last time was on Zoom because I remember looking at okay, you through it was the screen <laughs> there you go. and you were at your desk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't God, remember we're what, what we're back the in topic person, was, but. but as a reminder to our listeners and viewers, you can find us all over the place. Podcast platforms. Type in Sermon Spotlight; it'll pop right up. Also, if you want to interact with us or have any questions, fbcva.life forward slash Sermon Spotlight uh, is an excellent opportunity to leave feedback or share discussion questions for us that we love to kind of mold the podcast around. Uh, video version goes up on YouTube as well. Uh, the fact of the matter, everybody, is that sermons are not meant to just take an hour, but rather transform a lifetime. Until next week, much love and God bless. Thank you.